So glad to be here to preach tonight. Um, I was thinking to myself and what Pastor was saying, how he was trying to preach till midnight in the Philippines. And I was thinking, you know, we can start at the book of Genesis. And I've actually preached till midnight before. And we could do that tonight until Pastor comes. But, you know, I wouldn't do that to everybody. um, And today's uh, message is actually um, along the same lines as Brother Irwin's and a message on Genesis chapter 3, Where Are You?, when he was speaking about Adam, and Denny's message on Genesis chapter 50 on forgiveness when he was talking about Joseph. So tonight we're going to actually look at one of the patriarchs. We're going to stay in the book of Genesis. It wasn't planned this way. It was the message that the Lord put on my heart. For your Bibles, we're going to look at two chapters, um, Genesis chapter 12. We'll read the first four verses together, and then Genesis chapter 20. We'll read uh, the first two verses together. And then we'll open in a word of prayer. So let's go to Genesis chapter 12. It reads, Now the Lord has sent unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curses thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. You turn to chapter 20, the first two verses reads, And Abraham journeyed from thence toward the south country, and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur, and sojourned in Gerar. And Abram said of Sarah his wife, She is my sister, and Abimelech king of Gerar sent and took Sarah. Let's pray. Lord, our gracious God, we pray, Lord, that the short time that we have together, pray, Lord, that you open our hearts and open our ears to your word. I pray, Lord, that I might speak as be the oracles of God, that thy people would hear your words spoken to them, Lord, and that hearts would be challenged. And, Lord, that we will come across tonight, Lord, with how we can live for you and how we can walk worthy of the heavenly calling that you called us unto. We thank you, Lord, for this time and ask, Lord, that you bless your word and may it speak to our hearts tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Every one of us is familiar or probably with the life of Abraham and how he's basically the father of the Jewish people. In the Bible, he was called the friend of God. He was a man of faith. However, like many of us, he had many ups and downs in his life. He had successes and he had failures. You know, by the time we get to chapter 20, it was probably one of the darkest um, times in Abraham's life. It was one of the greatest failures that, that happened to him in his life. And we're going to see that the progression from chapter 12 to chapter 20 of what led to this great failure in Abraham's life. You know, by the time he gets to chapter 20, he was about 100 years of age. And by that time, he was already an expert in business. From the wealth that you can see that he amassed, you can see that he was an expert in management from all the individuals he employed and all the servants in his household. He was a man of faith for leaving his country to follow a God that nobody in his country even heard about. And he followed God 500 miles to the west to a land that God promised that he would show him. At 100 years of age, you know, it didn't seem that Abraham suffered mentally or physically in his life, it seemed like his body was still fit. It seemed like his mind was still sharp. You know, it, it's a blessing to our hearts and our lives that we know that our faith in, in God is not dependent on our age. It's not dependent on our intellect. It's not dependent on our physical being. 
it, our faith in God, no matter if we're young, we're old, we can still believe in God, and our faith is dependent on our walk with God. And as we get to chapter 12, I want you to go back there. As we look at verse 1, we know that in our lives here that we don't know much about Abraham. We don't know much about Ur of the Chaldees. We don't know much about Haran. We know that during the time that he lived here in <clears throat> what we know as old time Persia in the country of Iraq, that in this time period that they didn't have a set of laws. They didn't have the set of laws like we know about in the Mosaic law or the laws that we live today in or, the Roman, or, or during the Roman Empire. They lived during a time when it was the Code of Hammurabi, where it was an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. They lived during a period of time where what ended up happening was you would try to do unto other people before they would do it unto you. So you would try to lie, you would try to cheat, you would try to steal before they could do it to you. And so you would try to get away with as much as you could in life. And you, it was a very dishonest civilization, it was a very dishonest way of living. And, and if you were able to steal from somebody, you weren't the one that would look down upon the person who got stolen, the victim in this case, would be the one that everybody looked upon because you would be the fool that you were, you were conned by other people. You weren't aware, you weren't on, you weren't vigilant, you weren't, uh, you know, kept aware of that somebody's trying to cheat you. And, and so he lived during a period of time where that was basically the norm in society. He lived in a very wicked society during that time. People during that time believed in many gods. They believed in idols, and they had idols at home, and they, they believed in these idols and these false gods. And you can imagine as we get to verse 1 here, it says, Now the Lord has said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. You can imagine that here during this time, that God is calling him to a land far from what he's known his whole life far from his family, far from his culture, far from the society, and far from this wicked civilization that Abraham lived in. And could you imagine if you lived your whole life and this was the norm for you, and you heard this message from God, what would you do? Would you believe God? And, and, and as, as many times in my life I thought to myself, how did Abraham hear the word of God? Because God never commissioned the angels to speak the word of God to present the gospel. We know from verse 1, it doesn't say, but we know that Abraham was one of the patriarchs. We know that he was saved by his faith. The just shall live by faith. We know that he was saved in the Old Testament just the same way that we're saved in the New Testament. He believed in the Messiah, the Savior, that would one day come to die for his sins. We know from Genesis chapter 3 that the prophecy of the chosen Messiah will come someday to die for the sins of the people. And Abraham put his faith in this Messiah. But who brought the message to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12? You know, oftentimes I thought to myself, the Bible doesn't say, nor is it all that important, but I believe God probably sent a messenger. Maybe he sent a prophet like Jonah to come preach to to the land of Ur of the Chaldees, and Abraham was the only person in this city, in this town, in this civilization, in this country, who heeded the call of this prophet of God. Maybe it was a theophany, or maybe it was the Lord Jesus Christ who came to preach the gospel of repentance to Abraham. Regardless of what it was or who it was that brought the message, somebody brought the message to Ur of the Chaldees, 
and the only person who got saved was Abraham. And Abraham begins this journey of his faith, and he moves his family, he moves everything that he has 500 miles west to the promised land. But something interesting happens here as God calls him at 75 years of age. You know, at 75 years of age, you're probably thinking about retirement. You're not thinking about moving. You're not thinking about uprooting your family. You're not thinking about a change of life. You're not, you're not thinking about any of those things. I think at 75 years of age, you're probably thinking about the end of your life, about you're probably making arrangements about your funeral and your passing and what you can leave to your family and what you can leave to your children. But, you know, the interesting thing about Abraham was at 75 years of age, he had no children. He didn't have anything to leave his family. And here he gets saved, and he believes God, and he moves his family, and he uproots them, and he travels westward 500 miles. Back then, they didn't have a train. They didn't have an airplane. They didn't have a car. And this journey would take many months. And during those many months that he would travel westward, he had to have faith in God, that God would protect him from the bandits, from the thieves, from those who would see this caravan going westward, and from the violent people who would try to steal and kill him and take everything that he had. But yet he had faith in God to travel westward, and he begins this journey of faith. But you know, isn't that what salvation is all about in our life? That we believe God, and we believe him at his word, and we get saved, and we begin this great journey of faith. That God tells us all these things that he's going to give us. And he makes all these promises to us about how we're heirs with Christ. And how we can receive all the heavenly blessings. And how we can receive the spirit of God. And how we can see our prayers answered. And all of these prayers. And yet and we begin this journey of faith and we believe God at his word. You know, it's amazing to me at times how... I. I you know, years ago when I was in college, one of the things that I remember in college was that as, as Christians, I remember one of the great things that a lot of my peers and a lot of the other college students talked about during that time was, you know, they were really into apologetics and they were really into how science proves the Bible and how, you, you know, there was these institutions where they spent um, all this research um, proving that the Bible and this validity. And I, I thought to myself, and I thought it was a great thing back when I was in college. And, but, you know, as I've gotten older, I thought to myself, I've probably taken more years of science than most people you know. You know, I've taken the whole spectrum of science. You know, when I, in my original studies in school was basically almost all the different sciences up at Cal. And one of the things that I've just come to realize all these years is, you know, that I'd rather believe the Bible than the science. I don't need the science to prove the Bible because if I had to choose between what I believe more, the, the laws of physics or the Bible would be the Bible. You know, because you think about the laws of physics, and I know they, they say these are laws because these are things that were established through the centuries and through the thousands of years, and they're constant, and you're taught in school that these things are constant. But then as you get into higher education, you realize things aren't really a constant. Like gravity, gravity they teach you in school is a constant. But as you get to the higher education, you realize that gravity changes. 
You know, depending on what part, where you are on Earth, gravity changes. That the number changes. It's a variable now. And then I thought, I thought to myself, you know, this, this, is, this is crazy because not only does gravity change, you can change time, you can change space, you can change everything you know about the laws of physics. But yet, in the Bible, you can't change the Bible. The Bible is true, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so if I had to choose between the two, I believe the Bible over all the signs out there in the world. I remember that when I was in college with this banner back here taken from the book of Exodus, how they were talking about how there was this great wind and how the great wind parted the Red Sea and how they can prove all those things. And I said, oh, you know, that was great and it's great in Danny. But, you know, one of the things that you can't prove with science is how did they walk on dry ground? Because the one thing you learn from hydrology is that even if you could part the Red Sea, the ground will be wet still because where would the water go? You say, well, you sure about that? I say, I'm positive. I've, I've built coffer dams in the middle of the ocean, 70 foot high, and one of the greatest things the greatest problem is how do you contain all the water coming from the ground up? So if God parted the Red Sea, how did he keep the land dry? Miracle of God. And there has to come a point in our lives that when we read the Bible, whether science proves it or not, we just believe the Bible at its word. And that's what Abraham did. Abraham in chapter 12, verse 1, when he heard the word of God for repentance, he believed God. He believed God that God would send a Messiah, a Savior, to save them from their sins, and he got saved. He begins his journey of faith, and God made these promises to him. He heads westward, and he believed God. He continues on this journey all the way to the west, to the promised land. One of the things that most people leave out is verse 4. If you look at verse 4, it says, So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. You know, I've probably read the book of Genesis about a hundred times, and probably this past time when I've read it, that I noticed that God wrote that, and it just kind of spoke to my heart. Lot went with him. You realize that when God called Abram or Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees, that he took his wife Sarah, but he also took his nephew Lot. And Lot had the exact same amount of faith here to leave everything he had behind. And Lot gets saved, and he travels westward with his uncle Abraham. And that's why we know from 2 Peter that Lot was saved, that he was a righteous man, that he knew for sure that he was on his way to heaven. Regardless of what happens in Lot's life and how he was a backslider and all the mistakes he made, Lot was saved. And as he goes all the way westward, he continues this journey of faith with his uncle Abraham. And though we know that their paths diverge, we're going to see what caused this divergence. We're going to see what basically separated them. And if you go to chapter 13, we can see that number one in chapter 12, here you have the call to repentance. But in chapter 13, you have the conflict in the relationship. Look at verse 1. <coughs> and Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, a lot with him, into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. It says here that when he came westward to the promised land, 
that here he settles in, he goes into Egypt because of something that happened and he sinned there. And he moves back up to the promised land and he returns back to Bethel and he makes an altar to God. Here he situates his family and he basically starts raising his livestock and he pitches his tent. And he basically starts raising his family and growing his business here. A lot was in the adjacent area, in the property adjacent to him. And as basically the livestock started to grow and God started giving them the increase and God started blessing them in their lives, the herdsmen of Lot and the herdsmen of Abraham had conflict. They basically said, there isn't enough land for the two of us here. You know, God has blessed us so much in our lives and we have so much wealth. There isn't enough land here. And they started arguing. And they started arguing over money. And that's basically what it was. They were arguing over cattle. They were arguing over money. And here God basically puts one of the biggest trials in Abraham's life. Remember here, he may have been 75 years of age, but Abraham was still a very young spiritual Christian. He just started this journey of faith. He just started learning more about God and the heart of God. And he was trying to live for God. And so he was making mistakes. And so he made a mistake when he went down into Egypt. And here, here, he has his first real conflict, a real conflict with his family member here. And you're going to see how Abraham handles this conflict here. You see that even though he may have been physically old, he was still spiritually young. He was still learning to trust and obey in God. He was still learning to have faith in God. He was still learning to walk worthy of God. And, but you note here in this passage that it says that Lot was with him. Lot was with him in chapter 12. Lot was with him in chapter 13. So Lot was a lot younger, he was his nephew. And so Lot looked at Abraham as his spiritual advisor. He knew that Abraham had walked with God and he looked at Abraham for a lot of guidance in his life and how to live. And nowhere in the Bible is it mentioned that God really spoke to Lot. God spoke to Abraham. But I believe that Abraham ministered to Lot and taught him the Bible and taught him what God wanted him to know. So Lot was still a young Christian here during this time. And here they had problems in their life. You know, one of the things that I heard probably about 15 years ago, some a older Christian said to me before I was married, before I had kids, the, the spiritual Christian said to me that someday... Um, I was going to be the spiritual guide for my future family. Someday I would be married and someday I would have kids and I was going to be their spiritual guide and their spiritual advisor. And not only was I going to be their spiritual guide and advisor and leader in their lives, but I was going to be the spiritual guide for my in-laws. I was going to be the spiritual guide for my family and my secondary family, for my parents and for my cousins and my uncles and my aunts. And I remember hearing that and I thought, wow, that is really heavy. And I was like, wow, that is a lot of pressure. And I thought, whoa, I don't know, if, you know, you know, me, you know, how, how can I minister and witness to them during this time? I, I had enough problems with my parents and, and there was just really a lot of turmoil because neither one of my parents was saved. And not only were they not saved, but they didn't want me to go to church and they, they didn't understand why I would believe in God and not only my parents, but my uncles and my aunts and my cousins and all my family members were very against me going to church and very against me studying the Bible. And just there was just a lot of turmoil 
um, probably in my family life. And I remember hearing this, and I thought to myself, I don't know. I, I, I can't really see it, but, you know, I, and I just kind of heeded that advice um, all these years. And I remember during that time, I was a younger man, and I was just trying to get out of debt. I was just trying to just buy a car that didn't die on me. I, I know what some of you college students are going through. I mean, I, I remember one week where I had three cars die on me. Two, two of the cars, the timing belt broke. One of the cars, the engine blew up. In addition to that, the following month, I was stranded on the freeway three times because the tire blew from another car. I remember when I bought a car, the gasket of the car blew up, and I had to buy another car. And then I just, you know, by this time when I remember hearing that I was just trying to buy a car that didn't blow up on me, that would actually just get me to church. And <laughs> And, and so I remember thinking to myself, all right, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll take that advice and I'll remember those things. And, but, you know, years later, it's true. If you guys are the only ones saved in your family, you are the spiritual guide. You are the spiritual leader. You are the spiritual advisor for all your uncles, all your aunts, all your cousins, your parents, for all your loved ones, for your in-laws. You're the one responsible. You know, God decided long ago that he wasn't going to commission the angels to bring the gospel to the people of this world. God was going to commission the people of God to bring the gospel to the people of this world. And you think about that. You think about how you have a tremendous responsibility to reach your family members because, you know, for the most part, I can't reach your family members for you because I don't know them. And you can't reach your family members for them because you don't know them. And yes, pastor is a great soul winner, and, you know, we can get them on, you know, we can get your family members on the prayer page. But there just isn't enough of pastor to go around to everybody. Really, the responsibility for reaching our family is left up to us. And the responsibility for Abraham during this time was to minister to his family to make sure that Sarah and Lot were walking with God and that they were walking worthy of God during this time. So as he gets into this conflict with Lot, you can see basically what ends up happening here and the decision that he makes. But the decision that he makes forever changes what happens to both Lot and to Abraham. Look at verse 6. It says in verse 6, And the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together, for the substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. Not only did they have problems, uh, family issues, but they had problems over money during this time. You know, his nephew Lot had too much cattle, and there was conflict over the land. And Abraham made the spiritual decision. He says, Lot, here we are in, in the promised land, the land of Canaan. Lot, look to the west, look to the east. If you want to go east, I'll go west. If you want to go west, I'll go east. If you want to go north, I'll go south. If you want to go south, I'll go north. Let us separate so that we don't fight anymore, so we won't have this conflict anymore. And Lot thought that was a great idea. And on the surface, it sounded like a great idea. And for many years, I read this passage, and I thought to myself, man, what a spiritual man. He made... He resolved this conflict, and it, it sounded like it was agreed upon both parties, and no more fighting took place, and there wasn't any more internal conflict between 
um, this family here. <clears throat> you know the story. You know, Lot looks to the east and he saw the river Jordan and he saw how this great river fertilized the land around it and how there was great crops and how there was great cattle and great sheep being grazed upon this fertile land and how there were great cities around these, this great river, Jordan. And he thought to himself, man, with all the money I have and all the riches I have and all the cattle I have and all the sheep I have, how much more wealth can I acquire by moving east and situating my family there? How much more prosperity, how much more riches can I gain? And so Lon makes the carnal decision to move east and to pitch his tent toward the city of Sodom. Now, the city of Sodom, he didn't know was a wicked city. He just saw that it was a prosperous city, right? Many times when we move, we move for, you know, for a job and we move for more opportunities. And, and God is not against us, you know, acquiring wealth. And God is not against us. And God wants to bless you in your life. And God, you know, isn't against rich people. None of that. But here he moves eastward and he moves and pitches his tent towards Sodom and land of opportunity and he basically situates his family there he situates his wife situates his two daughters that were married his two daughters that were virgins his sons his two sons there and he situates his family there but here's the problem he's away from Abraham and what ends up happening here basically sends Lot in a downward spiral in his Christian life. Because remember, God spoke to Abraham, and Abraham was his spiritual advisor during that time. And maybe because Abraham was young, he didn't really understand his spiritual responsibility to take care of his family, not just his wife, but also his nephew. Because you remember, here in the land of Canaan, this is all the family he had. He didn't have any other family. He left his family in Ur of the Chaldees. He left his family in Haran. He left everything that he had, everything that he knew. He left them all behind. And here he's in the land of Canaan by himself. And all he had was Sarah, a lot, and his family. And he loved them. You know that Abraham loved his family because when Lot was captured with the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, by the four kings, Abraham heard about it and he took his servants, men that were able to war, and he went to battle and he didn't care about his life. He didn't care about the life of his family. He didn't care about his riches. He didn't care about his wealth. He didn't care about any of those things. He went and fought those four kings and he basically won him back. He basically rescued Lot and his family and won him back and brought him back. Now, I think, I think about that oftentimes here. Why did God allow Lot to be captured with his family by these four kings all of a sudden? Did it just happen by chance that he moves here, he pitches his tent towards Sodom, and all of a sudden he gets captured? And, and this great trial happens to him in his life. I don't think so. I don't think God allows anything to happen by chance. And I think God was trying to wake up Abraham here to really show him what was really important in his life. You know, Abraham, all the wealth and all the money that you acquired and all the cattle that you amassed here in the land of Canaan, 
it wasn't that important because you left all those things behind and you risked your own life to rescue Lot. And during that time when he did that, you would have thought that something would have stirred in his heart. Maybe it would have woken him up to think and say, you know, maybe it wasn't a good idea that Lot moved away. Maybe it wasn't a good idea that he went away because God is speaking to me and God's teaching me the word of God and I know the word of God and I know what God wants me to do. And, you know, Lot doesn't have any of those things. Maybe, you know, if things were different, Abraham could have been there to minister unto Lot and maybe he could have sold some of his cattle. Now, what's the difference between a million dollars and two million dollars? Really, it didn't really matter very much because Abraham was already 75 years of age and he was already planning that he is at the end of his life. He's about to pass away. What good is all that wealth when he passes away? Who is he going to leave it to? Eliezer from Damascus, his servant? Was he going to leave everything that he had to his servant? Because the only family member he had there was Lot. But yet, even after he rescues Lot, nothing really stirs inside of Abraham. He doesn't change. He doesn't have Lot move back to this area in the land of Canaan. He doesn't talk to Lot. He doesn't minister to Lot. And we know, you know, eventually what happens to Lot. And, you know, it's a sad thing because in his Lot's life, Lot saw an opportunity. And he basically took the opportunity. And eventually, as he looked towards Sodom, he saw basically all the prosperity, he saw the lights, and he saw the people, and he saw how happy and how rich and how blessed the people were, and he decided that he was going to basically join them. And maybe he had the right intentions to begin with. We don't know. We don't know what happened, how he started from being in the tent, looking at Sodom, to being inside the city. But we know this in life, that when we compromise and we start moving one step to the left, and we move another step to the left, it becomes a lot easier to keep moving to the left. And that's what happened with Lot. Whether it was little by little, or whether he had the great intention of winning that city to the Lord, whatever it might be, he moved his family into the city of Sodom. In the city of Sodom, he rises to prominence. He becomes a great leader in the city. He probably became like the mayor of the city. And everybody looked to him to make judgments and to leave the city. And we know that God said that the cries of those in Sodom rose up to God. Now, we know that the only people who could possibly be saved in all of Sodom was Lot and his family. Because nobody else was saved in Sodom. So whose cries was God talking about? You ever wondered that? God said the cries of the people of Sodom, he's heard them. And I'll tell you, it's probably the cries of all the victims in Sodom because that's how wicked they were. There were people in Sodom that abused the other people in Sodom in horrific ways, horrific ways that we can't even talk about. And here, Lot decides that he's going to actually plant his family there. And the corruption of Sodom ends up corrupting his family. It corrupts his children. It corrupts their mind, it corrupts their actions, it corrupts the way they live. And God decides that he's going to judge Sodom. And God's going to destroy all of Sodom. And you know the story. You know what ends up happening in chapter 19. In chapter 19, 
God sends the Lord Jesus Christ and two angels to go meet Abraham. And, go, and Abraham meets them, and they tell Abraham that God is going to judge the city of Sodom, and God's going to destroy it. And so Abraham does what he, he, he knows what to do, and he pleads with God, and he gets on his face, and he starts praying earnestly that God would spare Sodom. And you know this great prayer that Abraham prays, how he prays that God would, would you spare this city if there were 50 righteous in the city? And he continues to go down. Goes down 40 to 30 to 20 to 10. And he stops at 10. And he stops at 10 because he believes that, well, you know, he counts on his fingers of all his family members in that city. Lot, his wife, his two daughters who are virgins, his two daughters that are, that are married, his two sons-in-laws and his two sons. It's like, well, that's at least 10. You know, at a minimum, you know, I have at least 10 righteous people there and God's going to spare the city. And you know what happens? God doesn't spare the city because those 10 people, at least 10 people, they weren't saved. The majority of Lot's family were never saved. And they died and they perished in Sodom as God destroyed it. You know, we think to ourselves, and I've heard people say that, you know, why did he stop at 10? If he kept on going, if he kept on going, would God... You know, if he went down to five, you know, would God have spared Sodom? And one thing I've learned about God over the years is God would delay his judgment. He'll delay it, but he won't eradicate it. The judgment will come. He said, what do you mean? Remember when God sent Jonah to that great evil city, Nineveh, in the Assyrian Empire, and God's and God was very disappointed with Jonah, how Jonah wouldn't go to Nineveh to preach, and how there was 144,000 souls that ended up repenting and turning to the Lord. And you say, well, God spared that great city, Nineveh, right? And God spared all those wicked Assyrian people. And if Jonah had just listened, and, you know, he would have seen the great blessing of God and all these people saved. That's true. But here's another thing. Did you know a century later, when Nahum prophesied and Nineveh was destroyed, and all those people that were wicked in Nineveh were destroyed. See, God's judgment does not ever get erased. Because of God's holiness, when he sees the sin within that city, when he sees the sin within people, he has to judge it. It's because God is holy. You know, we're, we're probably corrupted by our, our thinking because of all these different churches out there that basically says, you know, the Bible would be great if we just take out all the judgment of God and we just basically just talked about all the good things, about the love of God and, you know, and how we need to care about one another and it's God is love and that's it. Before God, God is love, but God is also holy. And we, sometimes we forget that there is this balance. And yes, God would delay his judgment, but God will always judge sin. And the fact of the matter is, even the, believe, even the unsaved people in this generation, in this world today, you say, well, God hasn't really judged them. God hasn't judged San Francisco. God hasn't judged Oakland. God hasn't judged New York. It's true. God is delaying his judgment. Why? Because there's opportunity to see people saved. But someday, God is going to judge them. 
Someday all the unbelievers will stand at great white throne judgment. There is judgment coming. And the fact of the matter is we, do, we don't do the word of God justice when we only pe- preach part of the word of God. We need to preach the whole counsel of God and we need to teach people about who God is. That God is love, but God is also holy. That God is also a judge and God will judge sin. And I believe that even though Abraham prayed, God would eventually judge Sodom anyway. But it's very interesting how the Bible talks about the judgment of how God sent fire and brimstone to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, I don't think we have an appreciation for the judgment of God. No, we, we see the fires on TV and what happened in Butte County and the town of Paradise and up at Chico and all the fires that took over California and how all the houses and all the malls and all the cars were just basically burnt to rubble and how all that was left was just a foundation and the charred streets and the charred remains. Did you know that when God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, it wasn't like that? It wasn't just a fire. See, God uses the word, the word overthrow. And the word overthrow means a complete destruction, an annihilation. See, the fires that consumed Butte County and Town of Paradise and Chico, there were remains that were left. There was foundations that were left. There was a charred street that was left. There were bones that were left. There were mailboxes that were left. There was metal and studs and foundations that were left. When God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, there was nothing left. There was just ashes. And you think about the judgment of God, that is what judgment is. That the day will come when we stand before the great white judgment, when God comes to destroy this world, there will be nothing left. There will just be ashes. And I think sometimes in our life that maybe we don't talk and we don't preach enough about hellfire, we don't preach enough about sin, we don't preach enough about the judgment of God, and we, we don't think about what judgment of God is like. And I think if we thought about what the judgment of God was like, it would grip our heart, because it changed Abraham greatly when he gets to chapter 20. When he saw the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he saw what God was capable of because of his holiness, Because he was the righteous judge, it affected Abraham. And it didn't affect him in a positive way. He was about 100 years of age during this time. He had 25 years of the Christian walk. And he gets to chapter 20, verse 1, and this is what he does. And Abraham journeyed from thence toward the south country and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and Sojourn and Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister, and Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Abraham traveled south to this area called Gerar. And he does the exact same thing he does 25 years later, earlier. When he was a young Christian, you could have said that, you know, when he moved to Egypt, and he lied unto Pharaoh that Sarah was his wife because he was afraid for his own life, that he was a young Christian. Maybe he hasn't learned to trust in God yet to take care of him, that God will, will be his shield, will be his protector, will be his mighty fortress in his life, and that he had nothing to fear. Maybe you could have said that 25 years ago when he was a young Christian. 
But how do you say that when he's a 100-year-old man walking with the Lord for 25 years, and all of a sudden he does the exact same sin again? He goes to Gerar. He lies that Sarah is his sister. And he lies before not only the king of Gerar, he lies before God. What causes him to make the exact same mistake again? And I believe what caused him to make the exact same mistake again is because of disappointment. I think he was very disappointed at what he saw when God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Yes, God spared Lot and his two daughters. But Abraham was never the same. He was so horribly disappointed when he saw the destruction and all the lives that were lost. He was so disappointed when he saw that all that was left was ashes. And he was disappointed that all his family members that he knew, that he loved, that he cared for died. And he was angry. He was angry with God and he was disappointed. And the Bible teaches us this very simple principle in the book of Proverbs. It says, hope deferred maketh the heart sick. And sometimes in our lives that we expect things to be a certain way in our life. And, you know, when we're young, we plan for the future. You know, we think about when we're going to be married. We think about when we're going to have kids. And we think about when we're going to settle down and have a family and what kind of job we're going to have. We have our whole life planned ahead of us. And then when it doesn't happen that way, we become disappointed. And the Bible said, hope deferred maketh the heart sick. And disappointment is one of those things that happens to us that changes us. It changes us as believers. And as we get older, it makes it worse. Because as we get older, we don't have much time left. You know, many of us are in the latter half of our life, and we're closer to our grave than, we're cl than our birth. We're closer to our death than the day we were born. And it's a sobering thought that here you have all your dreams and all your goals, and it doesn't happen the way that you expect. And it changes your heart, and it makes you angry, and it, it creates this bitterness, and bitterness leads to anger, and it, it's, it leads to resentment. It leads to disappointment, and all these things that happens, and it happened to Abraham during this time. And he makes this mistake, and he lies again, and He's not walking with God. Nowhere is it mentioned here in the first two verses that he prays to God. Nowhere does it mention that he even wants to talk to Lot. Nowhere does it mention here that he asks God or he's fellowshipping with God or he's praying to God. Nowhere. He decides for himself that he wants to get as far away from the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and as far away from God as he could. And he moved south. He was hoping that by moving south that he would, it would drown his sorrow, his disappointment in God. Maybe that moving away that maybe for a moment he thought about maybe giving up in his faith. That it wasn't worth it because here he's walked with God for 25 years and all he has to show for it is the destruction of his family members and the lost souls that died here. And he has regrets. And he had a time of reflection in his life here. And I don't know what each and every situation is here. I, I really don't know if this message is speaking to anybody. I just know it speaks to my heart at times. And 
I, I think about what Abraham was going through during this time and and how he had family members that didn't hear about God that died and went to hell. And maybe he thought to himself, man, if I was given the opportunity, maybe I could have witnessed to them one last time. Because remember, the angels were never commissioned to give out the gospel. The people of God were commissioned to give out the gospel. And the only person that was saved was Lot and Abraham and their family. And if Lot wasn't witnessing to his family members, why wasn't Uncle Abraham? Wasn't he the spiritual guide? Wasn't he the one that led them 500 miles west? Wasn't he one who taught them everything they needed to know about God and about the Lord? How about Abraham? And I think Abraham was very upset. And maybe he, his anger toward God was misplaced. Because I think the person he was most angry with was himself. Because he thought to himself, 25 years God gave me to witness to my family. And I didn't say anything. Maybe I could have witnessed to his daughter. Maybe I could have witnessed to his daughter's husband. Yeah, Lot wasn't very spiritual. Maybe Lot didn't know what to say. But when Lot tried to say it, it was too late. And Abraham thought to himself, he's like, I had opportunity. I had chances. All those 25 years, I had opportunity to witness. And I think about that. It's probably been almost 25 years um, since I've probably been um, coming to church. And I thought to myself, in those 25 years, how many opportunities I had to talk to my family members. And I made it a point over the years, and I, I know I haven't done a very good job, and I've witnessed to my, pretty much all my cousins, and even my father, and as best I could, just one time, and just difficult with, with my family, with my parents, and I know I didn't do a very good job. And I think about my friends, my godly friends, and I think about the ones that have won their family are the ones who still suffer. You know, we can pray on our knees all we want, and prayer works. It opens up the hearts of the people, and it opens up the heart of our family members to be receptive to the gospel. But unless somebody brings them the seed of the word of God, Unless somebody brings them the gospel, they will never be saved. We can pray on our knees all we want, but unless we preach the gospel to our family members, they will never be saved. And I want us to think about this. Maybe tonight, you think about your own family. I don't know what your family situation is. I just know how difficult my family situation is. But whatever your family situation is, Think about your mom, your dad, maybe they're not saved. Your uncles, your aunts, maybe they're not saved. Your cousins, maybe they're not saved. And maybe you are the only one in your family that is saved. And how long have you been saved? And you just put 
decide for yourself however many years it's been. For Abraham was 25 years. In the 25 years, has God given you an opportunity to win a soul? If God's given you an opportunity to witness to your family members, have you done it? The fact of the matter is we need to make an appointment to witness to them. You know, it's not just enough that we're on our knees daily, day in and day out, morning and evening, pleading with God to save them. We need to bring the gospel to them. And Abraham here at chapter 20 had so much regret. Regret that for 25 years he had opportunity and he did nothing. You know, think about how many times we gather together for Chinese New Year. How many times uh, we gather together for Thanksgiving. How many times we gather together for Christmas and for birthdays. Yeah, and it's great that we talk and we celebrate and we catch up on how people are doing and, and how blessed they are at their job and how God has blessed people. That's all great and dandy, but the fact of the matter is we leave them in the exact same state they were when they first saw us, dying and going to hell. Remember back in chapter 13 when Abraham made that decision to separate him and Lot? I bet you he went back to that time and he thought to himself, 25 years ago, I made a decision, a business decision over money for us to move apart that we wouldn't fight. Yeah. I bet you he had regret in his heart and he thought to himself, God, all the tens of thousands of cattle and all the wealth that I've accumulated these 25 years, I would have given it all up just to see my family members get saved. And I bet you that's what he was thinking about, that he made a bad decision 25 years ago. He was the spiritual advisor for his family, and he did nothing about it. He had the responsibility, just like somebody had the responsibility to bring the message to Ur of the Chaldees. He had the responsibility of reaching his family, but he did nothing about it. And he failed. You know, it's sad that he was at this horrible state in his life. But, you know, there is hope. Look at verse 3. It says, But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, thou art but a dead man. For the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. God intervened, even though Abraham was not right with God, was not walking with God, was not praying with God. God intervened on Abraham's behalf to save him from the king of Gerar. And delivered him and Sarah out of that area. And you know the rest of the story. The promised seed came in Isaac after that. And I just want us to remember that no matter what mistakes we've made in the 25 years or all the years we've been saved and all the missed opportunities we have, there's always a but God. That God will always watch over his children and that God will always bless your life and God will always care about you and God will always love you and God will always use you. And God will still use you to win your family. There's still hope. There's still time. And God delivered Abraham here 
you know, may it never be said that at the end of our life, when we look back, that really our greatest accomplishment was the wealth we accumulated or the assets we accumulated or the things that we accomplished in this lifetime. Because none of those things are going to matter. May it be said at the end of our life that when we're standing at the foot of Jesus Christ, that these are our family standing next to us. Isn't that what it's about? Isn't that what we want? Isn't that our desire? You know, Abraham's disappointment was not in God, but in himself. He was just too proud to admit it. God answered his prayer, he just didn't know it. God delivered all the saved people, I believe, from that city, and Lot and his wife and two daughters. Too often we blame God in our lives when we should blame ourselves. God did not fail us. We failed God. Think about how many family members God expects us to witness to. How many parents, how many uncles, how many aunts, how many cousins, how many siblings. We are supposed to win them to Christ. Yes, we have a soul-winning pastor. But it may may not be said that our pastor is more burdened for our own family than we are. God has given us the opportunity and the responsibility to battle and to win the souls from the hands of Satan. We are the spiritual witnesses. We are the spiritual guides for our families. We are the spiritual light that they see. They're not going to see God. They're going to see us. They're not going to see the word of God. They're going to see us. And we need to bring them the seed of the gospel because that's the only way they're going to get saved. Sometimes I think we forget that God saved us. We forget that he commissioned us to be witnesses. He saved us, and we're unthankful in our lives, and we think that, oh, after we get saved, that's it. We can live our merry old lives, and that's not true. He gave us a new life in him so that we wouldn't live for ourselves, but we would live for God. He gave us his promises, and even if we don't want to believe it, God is faithful and just, and he'll fulfill his promises. You know, sometimes in our lives, we're so selfish, we want to live our life our own way with our own ambition, what ends up happening, who suffers? Our family suffers. Our family members suffer. God is not the one that needs to be changed. Abraham could not change God because God is immutable. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is holy. God is a righteous judge. He could not change God. The fact of the matter is Abraham needed to change. And in our lives, no matter how earnestly and how hard we pray, we cannot change who God is. We need to change who we are. We need to change our mindset and our thinking and our hearts in this matter. Failures will come. Disappointments will come. The question is, will our faith be effective? Who has God laid on your heart tonight? Who do you need to pray for? Who do you need to witness to? Who do you need to win to Christ, to Christ.